This sermon was recorded at Church of the Ascension, an Anglican parish in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, whose mission is to be a worshipping community that equips God's people and shares Christ's healing with a broken world. For more information, please visit ascensionpittsburgh.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would speak to us afresh today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Signs are important. Without signs, we can get hopelessly lost. Of course, signs are not always straightforward. Sometimes they can be positively misleading or just plain bizarre. I have a very small little coffee table book at home called Sign Spotting, Absurd and Amusing Signs from Around the World. Uh, And I just wanted to share a few with you, some of my favorites. In San Diego, a road sign says, cruise ships use airport exit. In San Francisco, a warning sign declares, caution, pedestrians slippery when wet. One dairy queen advertised drive-through seating. Another sign says, fishing for children only, limit three. Uh, From Hawaii, bottomless pit. 65 feet deep. And my personal favorite from Warwick Castle in England, torture chamber, unsuitable for wheelchair users. Well, Jesus said there will be signs. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. And we are told to pay attention to these signs. But what if we don't know how to read the signs? What if the signs seem contradictory or obscure? When we consider the signs of our times, be they corruption, violence, refugee crises, famines, disease, we may be tempted either to despair or perhaps just to become cynical and jaded. After all, haven't we seen this again and again and again? Well, our gospel passage this morning presents an additional challenge for us when we read in verse 32, Truly I tell you, says Jesus, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Well, those words were written almost 2,000 years ago, and we're still here. So what are we to make of it? Part of the key to our understanding uh, this passage from Luke's gospel is to realize that the passage we read straddles two different sets of events, and that different signs go with each. Prior to where we picked up the reading this morning, Jesus had been with his disciples at the temple, and in the course of their conversation, Jesus warns the disciples to look out for false messiahs. He had said to them, nations will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places, and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Jesus then tells them that before all this, they will see Jerusalem surrounded by armies. Now, for us today, as we read that, we now know that before that generation had passed, the unthinkable did indeed happen. Jerusalem was surrounded by armies. Jerusalem was utterly destroyed by the Romans in A.D. 70. 
But in his discussion with the disciples, Jesus turned to other signs also, the signs that we began with today in the sun and the moon and the stars. These, Jesus says, are the signs that will precede Christ's coming again. And in this case, there'll be no mistaking what is happening. Verse 27, they will see the Son of Man in a cloud. And Jesus is there quoting from the Old Testament prophet Daniel. So there are two sets of prophecies tied up in these verses. One relates to the destruction of Jerusalem. The other to the coming again of Jesus. The first was fulfilled in AD 70. The second has not yet happened. But what are we to do with this today? What difference does all this make to us? Well, first, I believe we need to heed the warnings that are contained in this passage. Jesus warned his first hearers about what was facing Jerusalem. God's kingdom had come near. He'd come very near in Jesus. And this is what Jesus was doing and proclaiming. His teaching was very clear. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. And I'll have a lot more to say about repentance next Sunday as our readings focus on that. But as we know, God's city, Jerusalem, rejected that message. Instead, they seized Jesus and crucified him. Part of the fulfillment of the kingdom was then seen in the destruction of Jerusalem. But the message of repentance, of turning from sin, from selfishness, to Jesus for forgiveness and new life, is still the essential message today. Furthermore, there is a wonderful and terrible day coming. A day of reckoning, a day of justice. A terrible day because when Jesus returns, he comes again as judge. A wonderful day because he will come in glory and will gather up all those who believe and trust in him. Everyone will stand before him as judge. But we need not fear if we have put our trust in the just judge who himself takes on our sin. But in the meantime, we wait. And of course, this is one of the great themes of Advent, waiting. Waiting for Jesus to come again. Waiting for wrongs to be put right. Waiting for justice as we long and yearn for things to be different. I don't like waiting. I never have, and I suspect I never will. I don't mind waiting for Christmas. But I do mind waiting for God to act in the ways that I want him to act. I know God is sovereign. I know that Christ is our king as we celebrated last Sunday. I know that he abounds in mercy and that he is full of grace. And yet, my experience and the experience of many that I talk with is that more often than we would like, we find ourselves waiting waiting to hear from God, waiting for relief or release, waiting for all kinds of things. And that's hard. You know, I'm 
pretty good at uh, doing all sorts of things to avoid the discomfort of waiting. So rather than sit with the tension of not knowing, we may opt to pursue some or other distraction. So if you are waiting, even for just a few minutes, I wonder what do you do? Likely, you reach for one of these. You reach for your phone. According to one recent study, Americans check their phones on average once every 12 minutes, burying their heads in their phones 80 times a day. Every moment of our connected lives is filled. Uh, my wife and I were at um, a concert over the Thanksgiving weekend um, with my daughters, and there was an interval in the concert. And it was amazing. There were hundreds and hundreds of people sitting next to each other, and they were all on their phones, not talking to each other. It was amazing. And we were just waiting for the intermission. What if we took time to wait without turning to our favorite distraction? What if we were fully present to the tensions that waiting creates? Spanish speakers, of which I am not, will know that in Spanish, the word for wait and the word for hope is the same. Espera. Did I get it right? No. Okay, well, that's the word. Ask Jonathan how to pronounce it. But I find this helpful because it challenges me as I wait not to despair, but rather to have hope. Indeed, if hope is the other side of the coin of waiting, then maybe I don't have to hide from waiting or flee from it, which is kind of my natural tendency. And Advent is a good time for us to practice this. When you have to wait and sit with loss or disappointment or not knowing how things are going to turn out, know this, that the kingdom of God is near. Ben Patterson writes, hope invites us to look at our waitings from the grand perspective of God's eternal purposes. Sometimes in our waiting for God to act or in our waiting for Jesus to come and restore or heal or bring help or whatever it is, sometimes we can experience a sense of despair. Because what we see most clearly are the signs perhaps of God's absence or the signs of destruction. What we cannot always see is that God is at work. We cannot see the seeds that have been planted and appear dead. Uh, we, can't, we don't see them actually growing under the earth, waiting to burst forth into life in spring. Indeed, as we head into winter, it will seem as if things uh, in nature are getting worse. All the leaves have fallen, the snow will come back. Uh, but does that mean there'll be no more green shoots? That there'll be no more flowers ever? Well, of course it doesn't. Uh, Jesus said to the disciples, look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they sprout leaves, you can see for yourself and know that summer is already here. So it's a call to pay attention to the signs of hope that are present. Now, of course, 
we're confronted in our world, in our nation, and, and for many in our personal lives with all sorts of signs all the time. Often these signs are of things that are broken. But to what or to whom do the signs of poverty or despair or loneliness or unfairness point? While they may point to the fact that we live in a fallen world, they can also point us to the one who gives us hope. Jesus speaks into our waiting and our wondering. In verse 34 of the gospel passage, Jesus says, Be on your guard so that your hearts are not weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the worries of this life. I have to admit, I I had to look up dissipation. It's a word uh, that encompasses a number of things, including debauchery, decadence, wasteful expenditure, profligacy, excess, and overconsumption. It's kind of what happens in unchecked living and unchecked spending that so often marks the days leading up to Christmas. And Jesus' word to us to be careful not to let these things weigh us down is accompanied in verse 36 by an exhortation. Be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that will take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And so this morning I wonder, what might God be saying to me or to you about how alert we really are? You know, so bombarded are we by noise and images through TV and social media that while we may like to think because of our phones that we're all so hyper-connected and so alert to so many things, in reality, it's so superficial. In reality, perhaps we're not connected. Perhaps we're disconnected from reality. Perhaps we're going through in this malaise almost asleep, inattentive to God, inattentive to others, and inattentive to the signs all around us. This call to be alert and to pray is at the heart of the Advent season. Advent is about waiting and hoping as we anticipate Christ's final coming when all will see the Son of Man coming in glory, in great power. Advent reminds us that God has plotted a point on the horizon of history when Christ will come again. Advent is also about Christ coming to be with us now. We're not left in limbo. Yes, there's a tension, of course there is, between Christ's first coming and Christ's second coming. But Christ has promised not to leave us abandoned in limbo. He's promised to be with us now, in and through his Holy Spirit, even as we wait, even as we struggle to hope. And while the signs of the times indicate that our world is spinning ever more out of control, and while the day of Christ's return inevitably and inexorably draws nearer, 
Our epistle reading reminds us how we are to live our lives and be the people of God while we wait. The Apostle Paul thanks God for the faith of the Christians at Thessalonica, particularly in the face of great opposition and temptation. And his prayer for them is that the Lord would make their love increase and overflow for each other and that God would strengthen their hearts so that they will be blameless and holy in the presence of God when Jesus comes again. Now, that is a good prayer for us to pray. Because our hearts need strengthening. We need more faith. We need to increase our love for one another. These are some of the things that we can pray for this Advent, for ourselves, for our households, for our church family. Christ's first coming and the fact that he will come again call us to live lives that are holy, lives that are set apart and dedicated first and foremost to God. You know, when I think about the chaos, the, the tragedies that we see around us, the pain in broken lives, there are days when, you know, I do, I feel, I feel overwhelmed by it. I feel helpless. But it's precisely in those times that we need to encourage one another and remind one another of the truths of the gospel, the truths of the good news of Jesus. May we take to heart Christ's call to be alert and to pray. May we, like St. Paul, who prayed for those Christians at Thessalonica, that are waiting be turned to hoping. Then can our faith be strengthened. The day of the Lord is coming. As the prophet Zechariah reminds us this morning, the Lord will be king over the whole earth. On that day there will be one Lord, and his name the only name. Righteousness will reign, and there will be justice. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Come, Lord Jesus. And as we wait, and as we hope, for that coming day, let us, with God's help, and the encouragement of one another, model for others a glimpse of all that is good, all that is holy, all that is honorable, now, this day, this week. Advent waiting, Advent hoping, is not a passive thing. It is an active waiting. A waiting and a hoping that is marked by love in action. I wonder, who might be the people that God is calling you to love? Who do you know who is or feels marginalized, neglected, or unloved? To whom may you show God's love this week? Christ will come again. And as we wait, we are to hope and to watch and to pray. God calls us to be a worshiping 
community, grounded in love for God and in love for one another. He wants us, you and me, to share Christ's healing with others in this broken world in which we all live. I've said this before and I say it again without apology this morning. One of my desires and prayers for our church family, for this Church of the Ascension, is that people will know us above everything else by our love. This then is one way we can keep a holy advent. And I'm encouraged. I am. I'm, I'm delighted. I know that many here are living examples of this kind of living. And I rejoice in that. I give thanks to God for you who live this way. Some of you teach in difficult classrooms. Keep on pouring out God's love. Others work in hospitals and doctor's offices in the, in the face of, of great pain and suffering and illness and poverty and addiction. Or you serve the least and the, the lost and the poor. Keep on loving. And there are so many other ways, of course. As you care for a sick relative, as you return disappointment with hope, unfaithfulness with trust, hatred even with love, these are the ways that we are to wait and hope for our Lord's return. This is the real stuff of waiting and hoping. This is how we prepare ourselves and others for Christ's coming again. So then, this Advent, let us prepare our hearts, taking a good honest look at them, examining ourselves before God, and then with open hands and open hearts and open minds, coming before God for cleansing, for renewing, for equipping. The signs of the times and the fruit of this age are plain, for us to see. And they include those things that Christ warned can so easily weigh us down. Dissipation, drunkenness, the anxieties of life, and I might add the distractions of life too. But the signs of the kingdom of God, the fruit of Christ coming into our lives today, are also present in our midst. The fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, Kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this morning, I invite you to keep a holy advent. As you see the signs of the times, prepare for the day when Christ will come again. And every day, prepare a place in your heart for Christ to come by his Spirit to dwell in you, to change you, to draw you closer to him, in order that all may see and experience the good news of Jesus. Amen.